you for being here tonight and for the opportunity to preach God's Word. Let me mention this. If you know of anybody that needs a gospel meeting, even if it's a small group that cannot afford the expenses, let me know. I am convinced that the future of the church is dependent upon smaller country-type, small-town-type congregations. I think that's where you'll find some of the soundest brethren and sisters in Christ. And I'm spending the last years of my life, I hope to have many more years, trying to preach to congregations like that mainly. I've been to two congregations in the last year, in fact this year, where their attendance was about eight or ten. We were able to get a lot of people to come and visit with them, and I'm interested in that. And if you know of some congregation, if I can help you where you go, I'll be glad to. But if you know of some church that needs a meeting and cannot afford one, let me know. I have some funds that I will use, and I'll be good for nothing. <laughs> now think about that one for a while, don't you, fellas? We've been emphasizing communication, knowing the facts, and motivation. Three fellows went deer hunting. Big buck jumped up, came across, all three shot at the same time. The buck dropped, and they couldn't figure out who killed the deer. Game warden came by. They told him the predicament, said, Would you examine and see if you can help us determine who killed the deer? He went down and looked and turned around and said, Is one of you fellows a preacher? Yeah. He said, Preacher, you killed the deer. How do you know? said, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> well, I don't think the bullet's going in one ear and out the other. I know it hasn't. Some of you say you can't remember my sermons, but you remember my jokes. So I'm glad I've got something for all of you. A lot of young people will go out and say that, and I know that they not only hear the jokes, they hear the Word of God, too. And I appreciate the young folks that are here. Motivation. I hope I can motivate you tonight to be a Christian if you're not, to be restored if you need to be restored, to try to do more in the Lord's kingdom whatever days you have ahead. A fellow went to, into a restaurant. lady said, you can't eat in here without a tie. He said, I don't have a tie. Well, it's a rule. You cannot eat in here without a tie. He went back out to the car and looked, and the only thing he could find was a set of jumper cables. He took those jumper cables and put them around his neck and let them hang down, went back in, said, I want to be served. She said, that's not a tie. He said, this is my tie. She said, that's not. He said, this is my tie. She said, well, come on in, but don't you start anything. <laughs> now, one of the purposes that I have in preaching the gospel is to try to start something. And I don't know whether you thought about it or not, but we've got a lot of members that have jumper cable religion. Their battery goes down, you go out and jump them off, they'll come back for a few Sundays, and then they quit coming, you go out and jump them. you just got to keep jumping them off. We need to be self-starters instead of having to have a jumper cable type religion. We are this week discussing heroes of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. And in that chapter, he gives us example after example after example of how by faith someone acted. We're looking at different Bible characters this week and drawing lessons from them. Tomorrow night, the first lesson will be the man who walked with God, and that's Enoch. The last lesson tomorrow night is two apostles alike but different. 
And that will be about Peter and Judas. And I wish every one of you could hear that lesson tomorrow night. I think there's a point in it particularly that is so important to all of us. But I'm glad you're here tonight. In our first lesson tonight, we're talking about the doubter. I suspect that most of you know who that is. In fact, boys and girls, when we sing that song in Vacation Bible School, instead of saying, Jesus loves me, we sing it, Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Doubting Thomas and Matthew. We have put a tag on Thomas as the doubter. I've never heard us talk about denying Peter, and yet he denied Christ, didn't he? I've never heard us talk about cheating Matthew, and I don't know that he cheated, but he was at least a tax collector. I've never heard us talk about selfish James and John, They, and especially their mother, thought that they ought to have preeminent seats among the apostles. But old Thomas, we've dubbed him as the doubter. We don't even sing about the apostles without calling him Doubting Thomas. Now, before we get into the scripture about Thomas, I want you to look at this card. Those of you in the back may not be able to see it well, but if I ask you what you see on this card, I think every one of you would say, I see a black spot. That black spot is a little bit less than one square inch. There are 39 square inches on that card that are white, and yet you didn't see the white because you were concentrating on the black spot. The one goal that I have in this lesson tonight is this. Let's be careful that we don't signal out one thing about somebody and let that be the only thing that we see about them. We have a tendency to do that. You can let a person... Be good in many ways, and then he makes one mistake, and especially if it's a glaring mistake. And if we're not careful, every time we look at him, that's what we think about. And fellas, if you bring home a report card that's got six A's on it and one C, which letter does your parents see first? They may need to talk to you about that C. But they also need to talk to you and brag on you because you made the six A's. Sometimes a preacher can preach one sermon that's not exactly a good one. Although he may have preached many good ones, people remember that one. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying by any stretch of the imagination that we ought to condone wrongdoing. I am not saying that we ought to overlook something that's less than what it ought to be according to God's will. But I am saying that we need to learn to be a little bit more objective in our relationships with one another than we usually are. And I believe this lesson on Thomas tonight will teach that. 
The reason we call Thomas a doubter is because of what's recorded in the 20th chapter of John. Along about verse 19, and a few verses after that, Jesus came on a Sunday evening to the place where the apostles were assembled behind closed doors because they were afraid. And he appeared to them and showed them and proved to them that he was the Christ and that he had risen from the dead. But Thomas was not there. And let me pause long enough to teach another lesson in one sentence. He had missed the Sunday night service the week before. That's all I'm going to say about that. But a little later in this chapter, they were together again the next Sunday night. And Thomas was with them. Well, in between, they had told Thomas what they had seen. We saw Jesus. He's risen. We saw him. And Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see the prints of the nails in his hands and I'm able to thrust my hand into the place in his side where it was pierced with a sword. And before you're too harsh on Thomas, remember the others had seen those nail prints the week before. <clears throat> and they were telling Thomas about it, and he says, I, I really have got to see it before I will fully believe it. And so Jesus appeared to them, and he said, Thomas, look here. And young people, I'm of the opinion that the nail prints were in this area instead of this area that they drove it through here so that uh, this part of the wrist would help hold the body on the cross. But I'm pretty sure Jesus held up his hands like this and said, Thomas, look. You said you wouldn't believe until you saw it. Look, look. And he said, by the way, put your hand here in this place in the side where it was pierced. And there's no indication that Thomas did that because he immediately said, My Lord and my God. He was immediately convinced when he saw the proof. Now I want to ask you, do you remember any other passage in the Bible where Thomas is mentioned? you remember anything else about Thomas? Let me show you something. Go back with me to the 14th chapter of John. You can quote probably verses 1 through 3 and verse 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. How many times have you heard that at a funeral? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. In verse 6, one of the most important verses we can know in our day and time when we're accused of being narrow-minded, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. But look at verse 5. After Jesus had said, I go, Thomas said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, 
And how can we know the way? Why don't we call Thomas the inquiring Thomas? That's what he did on this occasion. And I suspect that if any of us had been there, even if we'd been associated with Jesus like the apostles, that what was happening was so overwhelming that it would have been difficult for us to digest everything, and we might have had questions like Thomas did. But Thomas is the one of the twelve who asked Jesus about this, and who said, Jesus, tell us a little more about what you're you're suggesting, how, how can we know this? How can we understand this? And then Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Go back with me again to the 20th chapter. I sort of hinted at this a moment ago, but I want to reemphasize it. Notice what Thomas did when Jesus told him to look at the hands. He became the believing Thomas. Why don't we call him the believing Thomas? Or Thomas the believer? You know, there was James the less, and others were named certain things. We could have called him Thomas the believer and, and emphasized when he saw Jesus and saw the prince, he immediately believed. And there's another point in that passage there that is a sermon for another time. Look at the personal pronoun he used. He said, my Lord and my God. He was a believing Thomas. Now go with me back to the 11th chapter of the book of John. And I would guarantee that almost everybody in this audience can quote the 35th verse of the 11th chapter. Jesus wept. That's one of the shortest verses in the English. It is the shortest. In the Greek, it's the second shortest. The shortest is rejoice evermore. But look back at verse 16. Now, in the verses before this, Jesus has heard about Lazarus. And he's getting ready to go, but he wants the timing to be what he wants it to be, so he doesn't seem to be in such a rush. At verse 14, Jesus said unto them, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Jesus knew what he was going to do, but the apostles did not. And evidently, there was some element of danger that some of them at least assumed. But look at verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Why don't we call Thomas the committed Thomas? Thomas said, Whatever is ahead on this occasion... Whatever is ahead for us, our Lord is going, Jesus is going, let's go with him. Thomas, like the others, no doubt, had seen the persecution that Jesus had had, had almost looked death in the face, maybe more than once, and for some reason or other, he concluded that this might be an occasion that was dangerous like that, 
But he didn't say, let's stay behind and protect ourselves. He said, let's go with him. And let's die with him if it's necessary. Now that's commitment. Now look at what we've said tonight about Thomas. We see a man who is an inquiring Thomas. Lord, tell us what you give us more instruction on this, John 14. We see a man who is a believing Thomas when he saw the evidence. And the Bible tells us to prove all things and even search the Scriptures to see whether these things are so. 1 Thessalonians 5 and, and Acts 17 and verse 11. And he is a committed Thomas, committed to his Lord as an apostle that he's ready to die with him. And if history is correct, he did die an unusual death later on. All the apostles did except John, who evidently died a natural death. Thomas, an inquiring Thomas, a believing Thomas, and a committed Thomas. And yet we remember him as the doubting Thomas. Folks, it is not wrong to have doubts. Now, I know you can find many passages where Jesus, for example, uh, sort of condemned the apostles and said, Where is your faith, O ye of little faith, and why do you doubt? But I think if you'll look at those passages, it's cases where they had enough evidence to know the truth and they were not really looking at it. I think, in fact, that it is good for us to have some doubts until we are totally convinced of what the truth is. If you and I did not raise some doubts about what's going on, how would we reach the truth and come to the conclusion of what the truth is? I have a hard time finding anything wrong with the statement on the part of Thomas, well, really, I'm not going to believe completely until I see the prints in his hands and the place in his side. If we're not careful, that's the way we approach the Bible today. Sometimes it's hard to have faith in what God has said, especially if it's not the normal thing that we would want or the normal thing that we would expect or fits our approach to reason. Sometimes we don't have the faith that we ought to have. In fact, I'm convinced that the development of faith is a lifetime process. I doubt that there's a one of us in here tonight uh, who has 100% faith without ever having a doubt about anything. That's a full lifetime process. Yes, we ought to have faith and believe in God, and I think we do. I think we generally have that faith. But when we do not understand something, don't we need to be just like Thomas and inquire? And if we read something in the Bible that we don't fully understand, should we not search more to find out what the Bible teaches on that subject? Should we not be ready to accept something when we, we have it proven to us? I've had experience after experience where someone would read God's Word and without taking a breath look up and say, but I believe just the opposite. 
We need to have the same attitude that Thomas had. Show me the facts and I'll accept it. When he was shown the facts, he accepted it. And don't you think we need to be like Thomas when it comes to commitment? I doubt that any one of us in this auditorium tonight will have to die the death of a martyr. In other words, give one's life for the cause of Christ. I don't know how quickly some things are going to deteriorate in this country, maybe faster than we think. And the time could very well come in the lifetime of those of you that are the youngest ones here tonight when it might be that you would have to face the possibility of being put in prison or even dying for the cause of Christ. But I doubt that any one of us in this audience will have to face that. But should we not be willing to if it came to that point? Should we not be willing to give our life for the cause of Christ? And if we were confronted with what some of those in the times of the writing of the book of Revelation faced, and we were told, unless you bow down to this emperor, unless you confess your allegiance to him, we're going to put you to death. Like Antipas, you remember, that was burned at the stake. We need to be just as committed as Thomas was. Thomas said, let's go with him, and if it means death, let's die. We need exactly the same kind of qualities of life that Thomas had. Yes, he doubted, but he also believed when he saw the facts. And he inquired when he didn't understand the facts. And he was committed to Christ to the point of being willing to die for him. I think we may have done Thomas an injustice by always mentioning him as doubting Thomas. And I think what's happened is exactly what I wanted you to get from this point right here. I use this card many times when I'm talking to young people about little foxes that spoil the grapes. You can be almost perfect and have one little thing and it will spoil the grapes. If I had come in tonight and everything is in order as far as my dress is concerned and I'd had a pokey dot handkerchief in my pocket here, you would leave and not even know what kind of suit I had on. You'd remember the pokey dot handkerchief. And I think that's one of the things that's causing us a lot of problems in the church. Let me tell you something. There are not many of us perfect folks left. Just you and me. And if you want to look at the preacher and find fault with him, if I'm the one preaching, you won't have to look long. And if you won't look at the elders and find some fault with them, I'll guarantee you that neither one of them is a perfect man. I wouldn't want to preach for a perfect congregation. In fact, if I moved to preach for a perfect congregation, the day I walked in, it would be imperfect. Now, I'll go back and emphasize again what I said earlier. I am not emphasizing condoning sin. And if you see something wrong with a preacher or something wrong with an elder, go to them and talk to them about him and let them know of your concern. But, folks, let's quit nitpicking. 
Let's quit just pulling out one thing and, and identifying, boy, that person is, is doubting Thomas. He wasn't just a doubter. He had other qualities. And I beg of you in your work here at Fountainhead to be sure that you do not practice that idea of pulling out one little something or whatever it is about somebody and emphasizing that to where you cannot see the overall picture of who a person is and what he means to the cause of Christ. Yes, Thomas doubted, but he also believed, and he inquired, and he committed his life to Christ. Not a bad hero of faith for us to follow. Let's stand and sing.